Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about primal health. Today's guest is Steve Lane. Steve is a holistic health coach who helps people to build lifelong habits that create emotionally, physically, and spiritually strong humans. Steve helps people to realize and step into their true potential by, by optimizing their nutrition, movement, lifestyle, cognitive, fitness, and connections. Steve, welcome to the show. What's going on, Andy? Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So give us a rundown. How did you get to this point in time? How did you become a health coach? How did you become a primal health coach? You know, just give us the, the background story. Yeah, man. Um, my motivation uh, for getting into health coaching and trying to help people, you know, build healthier lifestyles was actually born of uh, desperation, if you will, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't healthy growing up, and I didn't come from a healthy family. And, you know, I saw a lot of, I had a lot of loss, you know, uh, chronic diseases, cancer, heart disease, those kinds of things. And, you know, mm -hmm. I came from parents were both, you know, a little bit heavier, and I was a heavier kid and just had a lot of a lot of stuff around that, you know, a lot of self conscious issues, watch my mom constantly battling the scale and things like that growing up. And it was just one of those things that got it got to be such a pain point for me that I, you know, kind of wanted to transcend that story, you know, I didn't want to follow suit. So I, I, you know, found the motivation to start digging around on the old um, Google machine and stumbled upon a few, a few di different threads ended up on Mark's Daily Apple and Mark, um, that's Mark Sisson for anybody that doesn't know who kind of founded this, this primal movement, which is more of an ancestral approach to not just nutrition, but also lifestyle factors too. And it just really resonated. And at the time, you know, I would have been around 18 when I found this. And, and like I said, it just clicked and it, and it changed everything for me. I was able to, you know, finally, you know, lose weight effortlessly at the time I was competing in mixed martial arts and I had, you know, constant battles with making weight and inflammation. And I just, you know, I was training like a full-time athlete pretty much, but it didn't look like I was training like a full-time athlete. And I always just pinned it on my bad genetics, you know, because I'd saw my family's battle. I always thought we had the fat gene and, you know, all of that good stuff, but I didn't realize that, you know, what I now know, which is, you know, genes only load the gun, your environment pulls the trigger. And, you know, you're in charge of your environment by how you eat, how you think, how you move, how you sleep, how you play, you know, all of that good stuff. So that really was just, um, you know, I, I was bitten by the bug, so to speak. And, you know, I took charge of my own health, I ended up helping my mom, you know, a few years down the line, she became what I would call my first real client, actually, and she ended up losing 115 pounds and turning her life around. And, it was just cool, man. And then I, I, I had the bug and it just health was my passion. You know, I turned my pain into purpose. And now that's what I do. I help other people just really, you know, get the gift of health back. That's awesome. So pretty much how long has it been now since since you started this journey? So since I started my own personal journey, we're, we're, we're about a decade in, you know, we're about 10 years in since I started to take those skills and help people in the role of a coach. Um, I'm about three years in, into being a health coach now. Got it. So, I mean, you hear this, it's, it's almost a, a common, uh, I would say a common story, right? Mm. And, you know, even, even for myself, right? I was injured as an athlete, um, try to find like all the, the solution, right? What the yeah. solution was that one thing, right? Which obviously we know now that's uh, a derivative of many things to create your own, right. um, 
but we're all and I, I, I'm, maybe I, I'm generalizing this too much maybe not everyone but most people and definitely a lot of the guests that we've had on this podcast had a very similar start mm. right where they had either a bumps in the road or then themselves wasn't weren't finding the help that they wanted um, or didn't have the purpose that they really felt like really succeeded uh, or tapped into what they felt uh, met their needs. Um, and it's, I think it's, it sounds like similar for you. Like you were, again, as an athlete, you know, developing all these injuries, all these stuff. Um, and even for yourself, uh, the, you know, in, in this state of not as being as healthy as you wanted it to be. And then you kind of finagled and found mm. uh, an opportunity to turn that into not only an opportunity for you to get better, but for you to help others. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, totally, man. And I, and I and I agree. I think there's a lot of people in this space that kind of do what 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 we've both done is, you know, yeah. take that pain and learn from it and turn it into purpose and want to give other people that gift. And it's I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, um, but it's kind of the hero's journey, right? He's okay. uh, he's uh, looking at you know, archetypes and uh, philosophical and, and mythical stories and things like that. And the hero's journey is essentially one where, you know, you you face a crisis, you get to go on the journey, you get to enter the, the cave that you fear the most, you get to slay the dragon where you get the treasure. And then what you do with that treasure is you bring it back home and you want to share your wisdom. And I think, you know, in our situations, you know, that 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 cave we feared to enter was, you know, changing up maybe our, our dogmas and our beliefs, having a look at, you know, the way we're training, the way we're eating. But then in doing that, you get to learn something and you're like, wow, you know, this is really powerful. And then you get to come back and you get to share those gifts with the world. And, and that is, you know, that, that that's good because it gives people, you know, it's a, it's a life of meaning. It's, it's obviously something that you're passionate about. It's something that I'm passionate about. And if you can, you know, take that and, you know, make a living from that, then that's, that's a win-win, you know, and as well, giving the, the people the gift of health. I, I don't think there is anything more valuable than that. You know, I know we're in a pretty materialistic society and people want to look at money and cars and things like that. But for me, health is wealth. And, you know, the fact that I can, you know, instill that in people and give that gift to them means the world. So. Absolutely. And, and I'm a big believer in uh, the fact that as a practitioner, no matter what your discipline is or what your theory or methods are, you have to live and breathe what you're teaching because yeah. there's going to come to a point where you're going to feel you're going to have this like imposter syndrome right? totally. or, you know, you're going to have a hard time relating to the people that you're teaching, no matter how good the method is. Right. If you really yeah. haven't bought in, um, which is why I find that a lot of people that um kind of come up from the story of, uh, you know, I had a hard time. I struggled with depression or anxiety or, or I suffered from fitness and or uh, lack of fitness or, uh, you know, health issues deriving from that. When you come from an essence of that, from when you come from the bottom and develop and learn all these principles and make it your own um, and again, living that and then you start to teach those principles. But through you, through, mm. through, your, through your journey, I think that is the most powerful stuff, because then you are not only the teacher, but you're also the, the role model, right? You, you yeah. are also the people, you're also the person that, that person is trying to uh, almost resemble in a, in a sense. Um, but, you know, because anybody can teach anything, right? Anybody yes. can watch a couple of YouTube videos, listen to a couple of podcasts and grab the main points and basically teach that to somebody, be somewhat successful. Yeah. But I think the real work happens when it's almost when just your presence and just what how you talk about things that in itself, I uh, have a mentor of mine, an acupuncturist and martial artist, and he always talks about the ting. Uh, right. It's 
you know, in, in, in Chinese medicine is basically your presence where almost as like 50% of the work is done just by you being present, just by you, whether online or in person, yeah. uh, just your presence and your journey, everything that you bring up into the platform. Um, and that derives from everything that you have had to gone through, have, have to have gone through. Um, so again, I bring that up because I get, I think the story, which is why we always start off uh, each podcast with the story yeah. of the guest. I think that that in itself plays a ginormous role on how uh, we're able to help people. So thank you very much for your story. And I think, uh, uh, you've done really, really well up to this point. Yeah. And, and I, and I fully agree as well. And it, and it's interesting because, you know, unfortunately, you know, you, you, you can go to a lot of health and wellness conferences and stuff like that these days. And it, it doesn't look like a health and wellness conference. You know, there's, there's a lot of talking heads. There's a lot of foods that are essentially candy bars being branded as health foods. There's a lot of people walking around and, you know, this is the pinnacle of the best of the best of what we've got. And oftentimes it looks like a diabetes conference and it's kind of like, whoa, you know, there's, there's a lot of talking heads in this space. And I think it, it, it's the point to what you said about anybody can, can kind of say that they're a teacher or anybody can say that they're a coach. And that's kind of a blessing and a curse, you know, it, it makes accessible for people to really take, you know, the passion and, and give that gift back to other people. But it also, is uh, it's the wild wild west out there sometimes and mm -hmm. you've got to really find those people that are living their example you don't want to find those people that are a talking head and if you're going to get help and if you're going to get mentors and if you're going to have trainers then it's a good idea to get a trainer that has got the results that you're looking for because i see it time and time again that there's coaches trainers business coaches etc out there and they're selling something that they've not been able to achieve themselves but they're hiding behind, you know, a lot of certifications or a lot of followers. And, uh, you know, Carl Jung used to say that uh, intellectual intellectualism is a common cover up for the fear of direct experience. And that's basically, you know, that we just keep getting all of these accolades and, and these certifications and these, you know, false sense of security and, and all of these other things. But maybe we're not so much walking the walk and having that direct experience and, and what is more valuable. And in my book, it's always going to be your experience, how you can show up that presence that you mentioned. And, you know, can you predictably and reliably create results for, for the thing that you're actually selling, not just, you know, say, Oh, I have a, this, that, and the other, a doctor, a PhD and whatever, but not be able to actually walk the walk. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me. And that's, you know, it's, it's what separates the good coaches from the many, um, you know, mediocre coaches. Absolutely. So talk to me, what is primal health coaching? Um, so primal health coaching is, the primal is the moniker of getting back to a more basic approach. Um, it's not to romanticize, um, you know, being a hunter gatherer or anything like that. It's, it's, it's kind of looking at who we are as a species, where we came from and adopting that to fit into our high tech, fast paced modern lives. You know, we're not going back to the hunter gatherer model of life, but it's where we all came from. And there's a lot of stuff, uh, good and bad, left over from those days in terms of our psychological hardwiring, the way our, um, you know, diets kind of jive with our physiology, the way our stress response systems work. And we have to understand those to fully find our place in a high-tech modern world that is pretty much at odds with our genetics and our DNA. You know, we, we really evolved as a species to live this life in the 
the African savannas and the jungles. And, and today we have concrete jungles and the only Amazon that we know is Amazon Prime. So we're in somewhat of a evolutionary mismatch and that can cause dis-ease or sickness or, you know, the, 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 the modern food uh, landscape is, is very different to that more kind of hunter-gatherer, forager style of diet that we used to have. And, and we've got lost in, in, in a lot of things and there's beautiful aspects to being a modern human, no doubt. But I think we need to marry this ancestral wisdom with this fast-paced, high-tech, modern life that's full of, you know, stress and fake foods and artificial lights and even fake movement to a degree and look to just get back to basics by understanding what humans crave and who humans are, where we came from. And, um, you know, you know, bringing some of that ancient wisdom into uh, today's world with us. What would you say are some of those primal basics? Um, so it starts, you know, with the, there's, a, there's a pillars of health, you know, approach here. So we've kind of got, you know, uh, food, uh, nutrition, mm -hmm. if you will. We've got movement. We've got hydration. We've got community. We've got stress. We've got play. We've got sun exposure. So there's many different um, facets we can talk about and many rabbit holes we can go down here. But let's just think about the big one for a second, food. You know, something that all of us do two to three times a day, sometimes more, probably more in the, in the modern culture, which is, you know, eat six small meals a day and snack every two hours and all of that craziness which if we just think about it for a second in terms of this you know ancestral approach do you think our hunter-gatherer ancestors were eating six times a day and, and timing the meals to keep the blood sugar stable and eating heart healthy whole grains and and you know rx bars and and whatever else it is or were they practicing more of a intermittent feasting kind of lifestyle where they would hunt and gather and forage and they would eat big but then they had to do that because they never quite knew where the next meal was coming from there was no guaranteed security there wasn't a 7-eleven on every corner and um you know and, and a mobile phone app where you could order your next antelope <laughs> so it was you had to work for your food and it was real food. There was, there, was, there was no factory foods back then. There was no refined seed oils or factory fats. There was no uh, glyphosate and, and weed killer sprayed all over food. It was hunt what you could get, what was seasonally available, what was available to the region. And when humans eat that way, humans are remarkably healthy. Uh, and we're living you know, in, in a time where the, the vast majority of humans are not healthy. They're overweight, bordering obesity and diabetes and all of these chronic health issues. And it's fundamentally, again, because we're in this evolutionary mismatch where the, the food that we're eating and the environment that we're living in is at direct odds with what our physiology expects to be healthy. So mm -hmm. can we then understand that principle and eat more real food? Shocking, crazy idea, but can we eat, you know, animals and plants? Can we eat more seasonally? Can we eat organic? Can we limit the foods that have only been around for the last 50 years or so? But the problem is most people make those the bulk of the, you know, food intake. And that's where the problems arise because it's, it's bad information. And if you provide your body with bad information, you're going to get bad results. And, um, you know, so that's just one example of the food, but you've got movement, you know, you've got uh, stress. Think about the stress of today's modern human. It, it was nothing like that, you know, back in, back in um, hunter-gatherer times. And there was certainly stress. Don't get me wrong. There was stress of predator danger and starvation and stress of having to move and stress of having to survive harsh climates. 
but there was also a lot of play and there was also a lot of community and there wasn't 24 seven stress from carrying around a mobile computer in your pocket where your boss could call you at any time telling you you have to go to work and there wasn't stress of paying bills and so everything has just changed uh, so it's understanding again where can we find the balance between where we came from which is, you know, and, and has given us the genetic recipe to be fit, lean, strong, healthy, happy, and connected, and implement that in today's world where we're not that fit, we're not that strong, we're probably overweight, a lot of people are not connected, they're overstressed, and they're sick. Clearly something's not working, right? And this back-to-basics approach works because it's time-tested, and it's getting us back to who we were and who we are as people. Yeah, that was quite a pack of, uh, of information. The first thing I want to start with, I think, uh, for sure, food, right? I mean, yeah. we, we can talk about this for like three or four podcasts in a row. Uh, but a few things that the, I think the first thing that, that stood out to me is the fact that you said intermittent feasting, yes. and not intermittent fasting. Yes. Um, and I think that's a great approach because a lot of times people say intermittent fasting, they already think about um, being hungry all the time, yeah. you know, not eating as much. Now, uh, which I'm, again, intermittent feasting, it's the same thing. It's just a play on words. Um, you, you think about now, okay, intermittent feasting. Now that means at least how I, how I think about it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and the fact where, okay, I'm eating, I'm just being more conscious of when and how much I'm eating. Uh, that to me sounds like intermittent, uh, intermittent feasting. Is that, right. is that what you consider intermittent feasting? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, pretty much spot on. And, and also just like if, if you're practicing these principles and you're eating the right kinds of foods, this, this, this food that, you know, what food is, is, is essentially information, right? And you can eat good quality information that upgrades your biological systems, or you can eat poor quality information, which downgrades your biological systems. And you've got a lot of people out there that are kind of they're, they're shopping for food like people shop for gas or good deals in the supermarket. It's just, you know, cheap is better. And they're like, oh, whatever, it's just energy, stuff it in the buy hole and, and, you know, let's go. But it's downgrading the biological systems. When you eat the good real food, the food that comes from nature, the foods that we thrive on, then you can eat big, You can, but you can also fast as well if you want to. It's not necessary, but you can go effortlessly prolonged periods of time without food because you also get to this state where your body isn't relaxed on that fresh fix of glucose or carbohydrates or a flapjack every couple of hours. So, you know, some days you might eat just a, a giant ribeye for dinner and other days you might eat three meals and, and have more of a forager style. But because you're eating good quality food, you can eat big without the fear of, 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 you know, what's been driven into us, which is always, you know, eat less, move more and leads to so many people just chronically calorie restricting, which has terrible effects on energy and hormone production and things like that. So actually, you know, people eating to fuel themselves, especially if they're moving and they're working out, especially women too. I see them failed by this advice so often, you know, they're, they're pretty much starving themselves and tons of issues with hormones and thyroid, etc. So it's just kind of a bit more freeing to be able to say, you know, like if you eat the right kinds of foods, guess what? You can eat when you're hungry. You can stop when you're full. You don't be, you need to be scared of like taking down a lot of food because it's very hard to overdo it when you're eating real food because your body gets the appropriate signals. You know, your hormones balance. It gets the I'm full signals. It gets I've had enough. When you're hungry, you know that it's actual hunger. You know that it's not just you, you know, trying to manage stress by drowning yourself in a pint of ice cream or something. So it's a, just a much... Uh, it's a much different approach to food. It's much more freeing, I think. It's, it's much less complicated, and it's the way our relationship with food should be. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I like how you close it up is relationship, right? It's, yes. It, it's things that were taught. I mean, our, I remember another one of my mentors, uh, he would say the real education starts at home, right? Mm -hmm. Not school, not on YouTube. It starts at home. So uh, whether you have biological parents or guardians, whatever it is, wherever you are living most of your time uh, or who you're living with, like mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier, environment. Um, that's who you're going to learn and pick up a lot of your habits from. So totally. if your parents are doing or eating a certain way, guess what? You're probably going to be prone to eating a certain way until you get to a point where, like we started this podcast, where you're like, okay, this is probably not the right way. I'm not feeling well. Okay, there's history of this and this and this in my family. There's yeah. probably correlation to that. Um, so some of that for sure has to do with uh, not only the relationships uh, that you have and that you grew up with, but also the relationships like you mentioned. Um, you brought up a great point of stress and yeah. we'll talk about it as well. That's a big point uh, and stress eating and all that stuff. But intermittent feasting, I think it was a very, I don't know if you came up with that or you've read it somewhere, but I think that's a very, I've never heard it said that way. And I think it's a very, very positive way to talk about that. The, the choice of when to eat, how much, how much to eat uh, and keeping it simple. Uh, Cause I think now with the, with the, with the trend of intermittent fasting, most people take a really good thing and just take it and just run with it. And yeah. it just this, um, something that, I, you know, it's funny because intermittent fasting, when it started being a thing, I was like, so not eating for a long period of time and only, mm. or not eating when you are, uh, or basically giving your body enough time to digest everything. Yes. Eating a good amount of food uh, consciously and then not eating again. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds sounds pretty similar to what I'm doing now. Right. Right. Uh, right. And it sounds kind of, yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you have to eat the entire day and never stop and just kind of keep cycling that? Out? And then I know for me, especially as an athlete, uh, I was always told, Hey, you got to gain more weight mm. Scout, uh, in baseball. I played baseball. Right. Oh, scout, I want to see you. You want to be six feet, 170, 180 pounds, 200 pounds. I'm a small frame. Like for me right. to get to 80 was just like, I think that's the heaviest I've ever been. And that was anyways, I had to chow down tons of food that i did not want it got to the point where i didn't want to eat yeah yeah uh again that was part of the relationships that was part of what my environment consisted of uh but i kind of had to go through that to be like all right this this is not sustainable i don't i can care less about you know weighing the amount of weight whatever as long yeah. as i do well um but yeah it goes back to those that relationships and and the power of words which is why i wanted to talk about intermittent feasting yeah the other one um was seasonal food and mm. i think that's the problem i mean again you go to walmart and it, i feel like they have pineapple all year all year long that's it's right like yeah the heck and you see the pineapple really really white uh and then you have pineapple really really yellow obviously when it's in season it's, and that can be for any fruit and for any food right um but yeah i think that's very important to think about seasonal food well yeah i mean it, it, it's it's very powerful because again if we are to mimic some of these more ancestral style behaviors, then we have to think about seasonality and you have to think about your own seasonality in terms of your lineage too. What's your ancestry like? Are you more of an equatorial type? Do you have more, you know, exotic kind of a lineage where you were more equatorial in your family line? So they would have had more access to, you know, fruits and sweet things all year round. Or are you more like me, um, you know, in the predominant, you know, 
of the like Caucasian, which is predominantly, you know, uh, European, Northern European in their ancestry. So, you know, those winters very harsh, no, no fruit growing, no, no vegetables growing when there's snow on the ground for seven months of the year, you know, and what were you eating? And should you honor that a little bit? And what kinds of foods, you know, there's all that you can really go into this, but I'm, I'm with you, you know, you walk into any food store now, and you can you you literally have more access to foods from all around the world than any king queen pharaoh of any time ever and Mm -hmm. you can literally eat whatever you want all the time which on on paper looks great but what's it doing to our very confused metabolisms and also what's it doing what's what's the cost you know we we we're obviously getting a bit more woken up to environmental impacts of foods and things like that and what's the cost of consistently flying in you know avocados from mexico and pineapples from costa rica and bananas from ecuador to to these you know conglomerate stores when we should be maybe supporting our local farmers out in the countryside who only can grow potatoes <laughs> and you can get potatoes and some locally raised beef why not choose that over you know quinoa flown in from peru and this thing from over here and it's it's an interesting aspect not only for health reasons but also to think about your footprint when it comes to food sourcing and you know what we're doing in terms of modern farming practices and how that is you know changing everything and a lot of those changes even though it is good for the consumer is not good for the the globe or for our waistlines what are what are some things i guess I guess saying one thing is probably too much, but uh, maybe a few things, one or two or three things that you find that you are constantly telling your clients and people you work with uh, to help them with this food section of Primal Basics. Um, yeah, good question. I think the first of the first and most powerful kind of food rule, and I use the rule word lightly, but um, kind of guideline, if you will, is to prioritize protein. Um, the reason you want to prioritize protein is is multifactorial, but for the most part, people are looking at food when they're thinking of the good old D word, the diet, you know, they're looking at it mm-hmm. for predominantly one of two reasons. They either want to lose some fat or they want to perform well to fuel their athletic endeavors. Either one of those works for prioritizing protein, because if you want to lose fat, right, what you don't want to do is be eating all day long and be chronically hungry. So protein mm-hmm. is the most satiating macronutrient of the three macronutrients. So it's very filling. And if you eat a lot of protein, you're not that hungry. And if you're not that hungry, you're less likely to overeat. And if you're less likely to overeat, you're probably going to have more sustainability with your weight loss program. But also athletics. You know, if you're a high level athlete, you're training, you're in the gym, you're lifting, you're out on the track, you're doing work, you're doing mobility, you're doing all of that good stuff, hopefully, you are breaking your body down. And protein is the physical building blocks of the body. You know, the body is built on these amino acids and, and bioavailable protein is is what's going to help you rebuild and restructure and again you know just in decreasing your risk like you said in in the past where you know coaches are telling you you got to weigh a certain thing and you're trying to stuff stuff food down your face you know a lot of that has to come in this kind of poor information poor quality food hyper palatable because you can't you can't unfortunately just eat you know three thousand calories a day of straight protein because it is very filling but it's very important to recover so prioritizing protein is is fundamentally very very important i think that we're getting to the point where hopefully you know people listening and, and the world is kind of waking up to this idea that fat is not dangerous you know fat doesn't make you fat you know fat isn't clogging your arteries these are all old dogmas that are finally you know leaving and dying and and yes there are such things as good fats and bad fats you know good fats basically come from nature 
you know, these come from animal and animal based products and they come from avocados and they come from olives and they come from nuts and seeds, etc. And the bad fats come from factories. It's quite simple. You know, the factory fats, canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil, these things aren't producing oils naturally in nature. So they're highly inflammatory and they cause a cascade of problems internally. So don't fear fat, eat all the fats that come from nature and limit and get rid of the fats that come from factories. And then in my philosophy and my style of coaching, we follow an earn your carbohydrates lifestyle, which basically means if you are moving your body a lot and you're training a lot, you create significantly more wiggle room in your diet to earn those carbohydrates that refuel and put the glycogen back into the muscle belly and stock up the liver glycogen and, you know, give you energy for workouts and things like that. But then on those days where you're not moving that much, or if you have a priority goal of losing some fat, that maybe you bring those carbohydrates down to encourage a little bit more metabolic flexibility a little bit more time with your body burning some fat for fuel instead of just burning sugar all day long which is unfortunately most of the western world because you know about 70 percent of the modern diet is pretty much people eating a combination of grains and grain-based products with the factory fats and vegetable oils to boot so basically eating the two most um you know kind of inflammation producing and um, waistline growing foods. And that's the bulk of our calories today. So it would be prioritized protein. Fat is your friend, at least the fat that come from nature and live uh, the earn your carbohydrates lifestyle. I think if you follow that and you focus on real foods, that's going to work for literally like 95% of people. And they're going to do really, really well with that framework. Awesome. Love it. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, We talked about stress. Mm. So, First of all, stress, I would find uh, like a song from Jay-Z, right? 99 problems in a <laughs> one, but right. in this one, 99 pro- or 99% how I've seen it through uh, physical therapy, through now as my road through Chinese medicine uh, starts to finish up this year, most of what I see people coming in with, whether it's pain, whether it's disease, which yeah. this ease, as yeah. we're going to break that down as well, comes from stress, man. I mean... Yep. Uh, I can't tell you enough, uh, and, and I think you believe that as well from my, uh, from me hearing you talk, um, is how we are handling st- stress. We know that it's inevitable, yeah. inevitable to a certain extent, but that's not my, that's not what I, my focus is. My focus is more is how are you dealing with stress and how can we make you more resilient? How can we create, uh, like you mentioned, a better environment so that what you are facing every day, it's manageable, it's sustainable. Yes. Uh, and for a lot of people, I mean, we get stuck in this uh, rat race and this uh, rat wheel that we don't really get off until sometimes it's too late or some people just never get off. Yes. Um, so, yeah, talk to me about stress. And I know you have mentioned a few things about predatorial, about movement, about uh, and then you mentioned a big word, which was balance. Balance. Crazy idea, right? <laughs> Um, stress, you know, stress is, I call it the progress killer. Um, I think, you know, stress drives inflammation and inflammation is essentially at the root cause of all of the chronic diseases that we're really seeing cripple the, uh, you know, the, the healthcare system in the West here. So so stress manifests in, in various forms. And, um, the interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about stress is that, 
we can have a good conversation about stress and we can kind of compartmentalize it and we can put this in, in a stress box over here and this in a stress box over here and this is relationship and this is work and this is sleep and this is blah, blah, blah. What, what happens in the body, however, is your body is not doing that. Your body's not compartmentalizing stress. It's, it's just a very complex system, um, you know, a milieu of cells responding to its environment and all stress is run through the nervous system. And that means that it's all going into this this bucket if you will so you have an internal stress bucket and all of the inputs whether it's financial you know marital performance under train under recovering over training whatever it's all going into the same bucket and if you're not doing anything to empty that bucket then essentially the bucket's going to get full and if you've ever been to the beach and you filled a bucket and you keep trying to put full sand in a full bucket you're just going to see it's overflowing no more sand can go in and that's kind of where we start to get problems is when the stress bucket is overflowing things start to happen internally. Inflammation goes up. We start to, you know, have depressive episodes. We can't sleep. We overeat. We, we don't feel good. We pick up injuries. Like we, we start chronic diseases, autoimmune diseases, anything and everything can pretty much be tied back to stress in some form of manif- of how it manifests. So stress is, like you said, it's a, it's an inbuilt aspect of the modern human experience. So it's kind of not trying to create a stress-free life because that is, is probably unrealistic at this point. It's yeah. it's it's increasing one's ability to handle stress. And one of the things that, you know, you, you can either learn to, you know, dance with the stress or, you know, let it dance you or, or surfing analogy is, is a good one, right? You can learn to surf the waves uh, of life or you're just kind of in the water, just getting whomped and whomped and banged about on the coral. And, and that's kind of how most people are handling it or not handling it. You know, they're just getting bashed over the head by life over and over again, and they're not doing anything to learn how to surf. So, you know, what are those things that you can do? You know, what are those skills? What are the actual things that you can do to de-stress and, and move yourself from this fight or flight, go, 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 sympathetic, dominant world that we live in into more of this stay and play, rest and digest, parasympathetic nervous system, which where humans do a lot of the recovering and, and the assimilation and digestion, elimination, and all of that good stuff. And, and that gets put on the back burner for a lot of people. So um, a couple of things that I really like is, first and foremost is, how do you perceive stress? So this is kind of an out of the box one, because we all just kind of like, oh, stress, stress is bad, etc. But I, I truly do believe that uh, perception is reality. Our perception is projection in many ways. And if you perceive that stress is, you know, just out to get you all the time and life is stressful and the world is harsh, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, the world will go about proving that to you and, and you'll have a very hard time thriving from that place. And you get stuck in a victim mentality that, you know, it's it's all happening to you and life is cruel, et cetera. But you can also change your perception. You can look at it as a, as a different flavor, if you will, and see that, yes, there's stress. There's no denying that. But it could also be a teacher. It could be happening for you. It could be giving you a gift. It could be waking you up to something that maybe you need to be better at. So first and foremost, if you, you know, are encountering stress and it feels heavy, then first just look at your perception of it. Are you resisting it? Because what you resist persists and are you running away from it? Or are you going to you know, turn, face the waves and learn to surf stress so you can own it and it doesn't own you? And then some practical solutions like, do you have a good movement practice? Do you have something you can do to play and get out of your head and, you know, just have this stress relief? Are you sleeping well? Are you having stress managing behaviors? Are you doing any mindfulness work? Are you breathing consciously? Are you doing any meditation? 
Do you have good connections and relationships? Do you get out in nature? Are you playing? Are you getting some sunshine? Are you eating well? Because bad food creates stress internally. Are you hydrating to support your detox organs? There are so many ways you can manage stress. And I think a lot of times, you know, people say stress and stress management, and they immediately just think in the realm of like, therapists and, and meditation and, and massages and yes all of those things work but there's so many different flavors and ways you can manage stress and um you know there's 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 uh whatever works for you works as long as you're consciously working to manage your stress then you're doing something that's uh very very important today i mean i think you nailed it on the head uh with perception because i think for me uh especially when i'm working with someone uh whether it's the pain realm or performance realm or just lifestyle realm um, their perception, because it's, I think it's very easy as a coach and a practitioner to, when they say, oh, I'm really stressed to automatically think, uh, work and lifestyle and, but not understanding what their perception of it is just like pain, right? Someone's pain threshold yeah. can be like, you can stub your toe and it'd be like a three, but this other yeah. person can stub your toe and it's automatically life or death, uh, situation. Right. Um, and for some people stress can be the same, right. And, and depending on uh, you know, we can go the psychology route, depending on, you know, some of their traumatic events mm. where just, a, a you know, a simple, you know, scream or whatever from their boss can really bring them down. Or it could be, you know, how, you know, deadlines or whatever it is, depending on what their triggers are. Yeah. So I think perception is very, very, very important, uh, not only for the person that's under stress, but also for the person that's trying to help someone uh, trying to balance that. So I think, I mean, and I mentioned that because, I've never really thought about perception. I always think about awareness and yeah. I know that person's awareness. Cause a lot of people, um, you know, they'll come in and be like, Oh, you know, I got this going on and, uh, and I'm like, okay, cool. So tell me, you know, what does your, give me a typical day. And it will be like basic from 8 AM to 5 PM. And it's just like bombarded from whether it's family stuff or work stuff, just constantly being railed with stress. And right. Just, sympathetic tone all the way through five o'clock until they can maybe get a workout or go home, go to sleep, wake up and then rinse and repeat. Do it all again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's that, and sometimes they feel like, Oh, that's just normal. Right? Yes. I'm right. Like, right. Work. You know, I have a little dispute with uh, my son or my wife or whatever. And yeah, I'm just, you know, but you know, I really have this nagging neck pain or this headache mm. or, you know, I've been having digestion problems and I'm like, Huh. writing all this down and I'm yep, yep. writing down all this lifestyle stuff. I'm like, so are you stressed? And I'm like, <laughs> two, two out of 10. I'm like, huh, interesting. Two out of 10, but you know, and, and, and I, again, that's an awareness thing. It is awareness. Yeah. Not, you know, awareness or perception, you know, how you put it. Um, but I think that's very important because in order for you to address something, you have to acknowledge that it's a problem to begin with. Uh, and again, that perception gives you that uh, that opportunity to be like all right i know this is a problem this could be a leading factor to a couple more other things yeah um, and what can i do to address this and to make this better so i love the way that you mentioned perception and again we talk about movement practice we talk about sleep meditation um and strategies and, mm. and again i think it all starts with that perception but um awesome that's very good well so, it's also as well i just want to add the that it, it's it's tricky for people to kind of own it, if yeah. you will, when they are stressed in a culture that was stressed like a badge of honor. There is something about our modern culture that that kind of 
glorifies stress. It glorifies stress and productivity. It defines people's worth. So you might ask somebody, are they stressed? And they like they either don't know because they don't have the awareness or they you know don't want to admit that in a negative tone because they actually think that being so stressed is a good thing oh yeah you know i only sleep four hours a night and i work 60 hours plus 10 hours overtime and they 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 think that's a good thing because that's kind of what our culture has created so that 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 also adds another paradigm to this because uh, again a lot of people think that they're stressed even though they feel it and they're probably you know knowing deep down internally that it's not good for them they're kind of celebrated for it so people don't want to give up the game when you know like if, if you can escape that and and that trance that you, you you don't want to be stressed all the time i don't know i i like life not being stressed man <laughs> yeah no you, you hit it on the head that's actually very very important because that i mean that's just yeah, I mean, I think that's that that explains me about two about a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, just you know, running my own business, doing school. Uh, obviously, like you said, you know, you being your schedule being tied up. You know, you being you know doing all these things one uh, all at once. Just being busy, but being busy is not productive, mm. and being overproductive is not always a good thing. And yes. those are all things that I had to. And, you know, funny enough, COVID and all this coronavirus stuff uh, kind of like put a halt. I mean, I was already, you know, I already had a lot of strategies in place and right. I was already in place. But um, once that happened, it kind of like, I was like, whoa, I am working way too much. Yeah, I got to yeah. up my things, you know. Um, so sometimes something as stressful as a pandemic can be just what a lot of people need to kind of create that awareness so it's it's crazy how something as stressful as that gave me the awareness that i needed to kind of be like to step back and be like all right whoa i was moving way too much yeah you know it was it felt like i was always moving and doing something but i wasn't really getting anything done And, and it goes to your point where you know we are always glorified you know people you know somebody you ask somebody oh how are you doing good you got this going on and this going on not many people say oh you know what like i was just at home uh, you know, watch a couple of Netflix stuff, right? Calls, um, you know, spend some time at the park. Well, I was doing pretty good. A lot of times, people look at that and be like, "Boy, what the heck? I wish I had that life." Like, you're not doing anything. Yes. But in reality, uh, to go back to like Tim Ferriss's uh, approach, right? Four-hour work week. Yeah. I never really understood what he meant, but I'm like, four hours. You know, you get all. You know, you get those four hours that you do. Again, four hours is an arbitrary number, but the the amount of work that you do. Basically, you're being intentional in what you do in those four hours or five hours or whatever it is. You yeah. don't have to do eight to 10, 12 hours of action for two hours of work. Does that make sense? And and those are all like conceptions that I had to kind of rationalize. And again, I, I bring that up because you brought up a good point. We're, we're taught to be busy, 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 yes. busy and always being doing something, always moving forward. But sometimes moving, you know, sometimes things still is moving forward. Yeah. And yeah. again, that's a very hard thing to think about me saying it, but, um, yeah, well, I agree. Well, you agree. also said about, um, which I think is a, is a really cool way of looking at this pandemic, because when we say about stress management techniques, stress and, and we talk about meditation, right? What, what is meditation fundamentally is yes, it's a stress management technique, but it's, it's cultivating the skill of awareness to actually notice mm-hmm. what's going on internally. And it's mm-hmm. funny to me that you noticed this highlight that, Oh, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going too hard. Maybe I'm working too much. And I think it's happening for a lot of people. And the reason yeah. why is because 
COVID has been uh, a global meditation of sorts because the world has been forced to put its attention on one point. You know, we, we're, we're often so busy and, and that's how, how kind of the, the metaphor works here. Our life is just from one appointment to the other, blah, 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 go, 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 go. Almost everybody was forced to stop and look at this thing called a virus. And that is what meditation is. It's putting your attention yeah. on one thing. And that has woken a lot of people up, I think, to these ideas that, hmm, maybe there's something to this slowing down thing. And it's pretty crazy that, you know, it, it took a virus to for us to receive that lesson. But that's also why I, you know, take more of a esoteric, if you will, view of these things as, as, as teachers and, 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 you know, can you actually be grateful for what COVID has taught us in that sense? Because I think it was somehow a, 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 a much needed message. And uh, as long as we take the lessons, then we, we will be better for this. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree more. Uh, and I think that goes along with your other uh, basic principle, which was community, yeah. which is what we're starting to see now is how, affected we get first of all we get affected we always say especially you know i live in miami so it's i don't know how many million people live here and it's constantly like man you, you feel like you never have space right but now you get clustered into your own house and all you're seeing are four or five different people depending on where you live you might be living with more people right uh constantly and you don't see your friends the people even the you know the people that you constantly drive by going to work going to school or whatever you're like yo look who is I don't know his name, but I always see him on the coffee table at Starbucks. Oh, they're wherever. Um, we start to now crave hugs, kisses. I know. Kisses, uh, just a simple hi, hello. Just like being able to walk. It's crazy. Just being able to walk on the sidewalk without having to be like, oh, here comes somebody. Let me walk on the street now. You know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's talking about that community. I think, man, uh, once this is all said and done, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, this community factor um, is going to be a big pivot point for a lot of people because, I mean, for a lot of people too, or should I say some people, their community can be work or going mm. to the gym, um, especially when you don't have that, you start to see how important that really is and how as a human being, we're so, uh, it's part of our, like you said, part of our basic necessities is to be able to talk to, and not just your, not just your immediate family, but the community itself, whether that's your work community or workout community um, or just friends or whatever it is, community is, is just so important. And uh, I'm going to let you speak here now because I'm rambling. But yeah, <laughs> no, you're, you're on it. You're on point, man. And, and community is it's a fundamental pillar of health. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, there's a reason why loneliness is as detrimental to health as smoking 10 cigarettes a day. You know, this is hashed out in the scientific literature. It's it's tragic for people to be lonely and isolated and not have a sense of connection to other people. It's, it's actually a fundamental need, which is why the worst thing you can possibly do to a human being is put them in solitary confinement. It's the worst punishment of anything we know. People will lose their minds within days of being in that, in, in that space. We, we crave and need other people. And I think, you know, a lot of people, pretend sometimes that they don't but i think you know now is this you know i'm a loner and pride and and you know that's fine you can be those things but don't pretend that you don't need other people we all do we need connection we need other people we need that touch we need that oxytocin we need that love we need all of it so you know covid is as again as highlighted that uh greatly and i think that you know 
I hope that people after this, you know, look to get out and about in the communities more or, you know, even whether it's just joining a club to go and chat with other humans or whether it's joining a gym or whatever that is, like to fill that need for community, because without a doubt, it's it's a fundamental pillar of one's health. And it's great that we live in this high tech world where we can connect just like this, you know, over technology, but it doesn't offer the same experience as being in the same room as another person where your unconscious bodies are communicating and you're picking up that energy and you're actually touching another person like you need that too so yes find your online communities during a time like this but do yourself and everybody else around you a favor and go and cultivate those relationships too and and you know have strong relationships and visit your friends and you know go and join groups and go to the library and go to the park and talk to people and look at them in the eye like it's we need it you know it's it's a human thing absolutely um and the other one that you have mentioned hydration will put into food but um mm -hmm. movement i know you have mentioned your martial artists let's talk a little bit about that what martial arts have you uh, done or continue to practice? Yeah, so um, I I started like as a kid um, doing a bunch of the more traditional martial arts, judo and karate, and and then um, you know kind of lost those a little bit as I reached uh, 14, 15 or so, and was pursuing rugby and was having a have a great old time playing rugby um, and wanted to pursue that and just kind of was never good enough to take 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 it up professionally. But wanted to then still channel that high level athletic energy into something else. So came back around to martial arts and started practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Thai boxing or Muay Thai. And that then transitioned into um, a, a stint in MMA or, or what many people would know as the UFC, right? Mixed martial arts, um, mm -hmm. you know, testing a blend of all of the martial arts. So the stand-up fight in the ground fighting and competed in that for a couple of years and had some amateur and semi-professional bouts and, you know, just learned a lot about... Uh, myself definitely in the martial arts because you know you go into a cage with just one other person there's no team this isn't a team sport it's you and another guy and he's trying to take you out and it's high risks and you know there's there's a lot to you know there's a lot of um mindset work to be done there to keep you cool and all of that stuff taught me a lot about discipline and um you know i just i just love the I love the the blend of the the combat side of things, especially being a man and having that masculine energy and, and that need to be pushed physically, especially against and, and be tested and and wrestle. Like it is, it is okay to own that that is a natural part of of something that we like in a channeled way. You know, you don't go around roughhousing strangers, but if you could do that in a controlled gym environment and test yourself, that's good. It's healthy, and uh, you also the the fact that martial arts is is also a big mental game. It's like chess. Yeah. You know, you're you're playing in the physical realm with high stakes, but you're also looking for movement patterns. And you're setting traps and you're fainting and you're moving and you're trying to one-up your opponent in the mental edge of the game. So it, martial arts is, is just a beautiful thing to get into for, for many, many reasons, health and discipline and the community again, you know. But um, yeah, I, I, I did MMA for a number of years and still to this day can continue to train um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and things like that. And, you know, just I movement, movement is life, you know. It, things in nature when they stop moving is when they start dying and i think it's pretty much the same for humans um with the caveat that you know we're all dying unfortunately <laughs> from the day we're born we're dying um but you know we speed up that process when we stop moving so to find something that lights you up find something that keeps you young and healthy and vibrant and just move it's it's so important and then as far as the primal basics uh like you mentioned you just want someone to be find something they enjoy doing find something that they can stick to and just do it as far as movement, right? 
Yeah, and, and, and obviously having kind of like a pragmatic look at things. You know, we have to be able to move well in a desired range of motions, you know. And again, looking at this more through the human lens uh, rather than necessarily the athletic lens, although they, they obviously blend well together. But right. do you have a basic level of competence in the, you know, what I call the primal patterns? Uh, can you squat? Can you lunge? Can you uh, bend or hinge? Can you rotate? Can you push? And can you pull? And then the seventh one is is gait and the derivatives. Can you walk well? Can you jog well? And can you sprint well? So if you can answer that whatever you're doing to fulfill your movement requirements is giving you a basic level of competency in, in, in those movement patterns, squatting, lunging, pushing, pulling, hinging, rotating, walking, sprinting, and jogging, then you've got a pretty fundamentally well-rounded array of skills. You're adaptable. You can adapt to the demands of life. And whether you do that in the gym environment with a well-programmed resistance training workout, whether you do that with kettlebells, whether you do that with organic flow movements, whether you whether you do like kind of Edo Portal stuff, whether you do animal flow, whether you do yoga, you know, you just do whatever kind of is, is fun making for you, but also at the same time, take take assessments you know where where are you missing certain movement patterns like yoga is a great example it's a great exercise modality for most people but it's pretty absent in a pull there's no horizontal or vertical pull in yoga so if you only do yoga you're going to be missing your you know efficiency at being uh, a good puller and that's an important aspect to be a human so what do you do maybe you start working on rows and pull-ups outside of the yoga gym and there now you've got a pretty you know well-rounded practice you know if you just do one thing and you're a specialist it's probably not the ideal um thing for a, a well-rounded human unless of course you're a professional at that and, and and you're getting paid to do it but as a general rule of thumb i think and i coach my clients to, when it comes to movement to almost be like a jack of all trades, master of none. I think it's good for humans yeah. to be generalists when it comes to movement, wide range of skills. They should be strong and supple. They should be able to sprint and they should be able to lift good heavy weights and they should be able to get into yoga poses and they should be able to you know, be very adaptable to whatever the situation throws at them. Athletic and lean and, and strong and agile and resilient. And uh, you know, that's basically my approach to, to the movement piece. Love it. Yeah. Well rounded. You gotta be balanced. I mean, there's gotta be, you have to have the movement patterns. So you have to do them, uh, frequently. Yeah. Uh, you have to find something that you enjoy that can incorporate that, or maybe a mix of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of being a generalist. Uh, there's no, there's no problem being a specialist with certain things, but you want to make sure that you can cover everything. You want to be prepared totally. for anything, you know, I, I mean, that's how I kind of speak about it. Right. You want to be able to have that toolbox that you can pull from, and then be really good at a few things that, you know, that you enjoy as well. But, you know, it's, it's important to be balanced, like Absolutely. Again, to be the mainstay of the, of the whole podcast here. Um, but a few things that you mentioned that I want to highlight on is and you, you talked about it in your martial arts career and also uh, in your practice now is mindset, discipline and challenge. Mm. I think when it comes to a movement practice, other than the fact of the systematic balance, I think having these things in place, I think it's one of the, or three things in place, I think is a big benefit that a lot of people get. And some even uh, crave when they're looking for something, right? Yes. Something that can have, give them that mindset, give them that strategy to uh, handle stress or handle uh, challenges better, uh, give them that discipline or at least create a foundation so they can build it and continue that because discipline i mean you can lead a horse to water but yeah if you yeah you know if you're not drinking the water it doesn't really matter 
and then challenge, right? You get that challenge where your body's constantly improving um, and you're meeting yourself to the point where or you're meeting yourself halfway so that you can constantly improve. I, I mean, those are three things that, you know, jumped out on me when you were talking about your martial arts practice. Yeah, I think we just need, I, I think we need those. And I am, I'm a big believer that, that humans by nature, they're not complacent. I, I don't think anybody is truly happy just kind of saying, all right, yep, I'm, you know, that's me done. I'm going to stay like this forever. I think people do do that. There's a lot of people that do do that, but I don't think that they want to do that. I just think they don't have the tools. I think they have a lot of limiting beliefs. I, I, I think they have mm -hmm. self-worth issues. They don't believe that they're worth it. They don't believe they can achieve it. They've got trauma, et cetera. But fundamentally, humans want to get better. And one of the ways we do that is through challenge, uh, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, etc. So we have to test our ranges and, and then we get comfortable at those ranges. So then we increase the challenge again and then we expand our ranges. And, and, and that is, you know, fundamentally how we grow consistently. And in doing that, you will teach yourself discipline. Uh, and and I, I define discipline as the difference between what you want now versus what you want forever. And what you want now is often rooted in easy choice, safety, security, and comfort. But what you want forever is usually outside of that comfort zone. So it means making in the short term, maybe the harder choice, maybe the more difficult choice, because you understand the power of delayed gratification. And I'm going to do something now that maybe even I don't want to do. Imagine that I'm going to do something I don't want to do in order to have something that fundamentally I want in the future. And, and, you know, a lot of people are lacking discipline in today's world because we live in an instant gratification culture. We want what we want now. We don't want to work hard. We shouldn't have to work for it. And it's tragic really, because discipline, even though it's not always easy and it's not always what you want to do, it's fundamentally a part of being a healthy, well-rounded human. Um, and if you, you know, want to kind of study more on that i would say stoic philosophy is a great place to start you know just understanding the value of, of of discipline and hard work so yeah challenge discipline and the mindset values that that instills in you just your ability to push your ability to overcome difficult things your ability to regulate your self-talk you know not quit when the going gets tough they're all fundamental aspects of, of being a well-rounded human and we need well-rounded humans today we need people to step up to the challenge and and you know have these conversations because we've we've lost that way a little bit and um you know we need to get it back it needs to be you know health and all of this stuff that we're talking about it needs to be on a pedestal and it, it's it's fallen off the pedestal and i think you know things like covid are highlighting that a little bit again that this is very very important but i'm glad and, and grateful for conversations like this that hopefully push people to say yeah you know what i've got to i've got to do my part here i've got to get healthy i've got to i've got to move well i've got to eat well i've got to think well these are all very important aspects and and life is better when you're doing that Absolutely. Comfort is such a terrible, terrible word. Comfort. Yeah, yeah. Comfort. I mean, even for me that, I mean, it's crazy because even me as a, as a practitioner, as, uh, as a therapist, whatever you want to call me, sometimes I don't even know what to label myself. Anymore. <laughs> um, I ha I mean, that's been my biggest struggle. I mean, obviously when I was in, you know, in college, I was, I was part of a team. So, if, you know, if I wasn't doing it kind of like everybody else wasn't doing it, um, or, you know, there was always somebody competitive edge that I knew somebody else was working. And if I wasn't right, now, but now you're on your own or not in a team like setting or whatever, you basically have to come up with this discipline. You mm -hmm. have to, and it's, it's something, and, and I talk about this with a lot of people that I work with. It's just constant. It's like, they, they, they say, I want to get to the point where, where I don't really have to think about it anymore. I'm like, that's doesn't happen. You mm -hmm. constantly have to work on it it's constantly it, i mean the challenge itself is the challenge yeah right. right constantly waking up every day and saying all right what's today what do i need to get done today how am i going to do that whether it's work whether it's movement whether it's food 
uh, constantly making the right choice. That's the challenge. That's that's the difference between comfort and uncomfortable. And a lot of time, and I'm not talking about pain wise. Yeah. I know some of you listening are like, well, you always say, you know, you got to do things the right way. Well, <laughs> we're not in that spectrum. What I'm talking about is making that right choice. And a lot of times making that right choice is very uncomfortable, whether it's a difficult conversation you have to have or choosing the uh, fruit over the RX bar or yeah. whatever bar yeah. you're talking about. Um, you know, sometimes you have to, it's almost like we're in a constant state of uncomfort, uncomfortableness, yes. I would say mindset wise to be able to be comfortable and, and sustainable in the long, in the long term, because, uh, I mean, that's really what it is. And that's something that I constantly, constantly deal with, even with my programming, uh, the workouts that I do, uh, my decisions day in and day out, uh, sometimes they're uncomfortable and it's, yeah. and it's, it's, it's. And I think it's important for, for, for me to say that, not just for me to kind of reflect, but also for the listeners and, you know, for them to see that, hey, you know, even someone that is teaching this and talking about this and educating, having hard times, what does that say about me? You know, totally. it, it, it's going to happen to you. It's going to consistently happen. Now, what you do next is the most important thing. Totally. I always say staying consistent, like we talked about the mindset, the discipline, the challenge, just showing up is half the battle. From there, just kind of stepping forward, you know, making the right choices. Even if you don't really make the right choice, at least you made a choice. Yeah, at least exactly. you made, you, you made a, a, a choice towards the right direction. Maybe it wasn't the perfect choice, uh, but it's the good thing about, you know, uh, bad choices. They're going to be your best teachers. You make the yeah. right choice. You're not really going to make the, you're not going to learn too much. You're going to be like, oh, right, cool. That was good. So, you know, some gratification. Yeah. But when you make the bad choice or a choice that, you know, you should have not made, or maybe you didn't, you, maybe you just didn't know about a better choice or whatever it is. It can be anything. I'm being generic. Uh, but, and, and, and uh, Steve has mentioned this as well, is a lot of these challenges, a lot of these stressful things are going to be one of your best teachers, a best, the better teacher than your actual teacher. Like something, totally. and, uh, you know, I'm, I've been practicing Qigong over the last few months and, you know, any movement practice, any teacher will tell you, you just got to do it. Yeah. You can see me and I can teach you and you can learn it all on YouTube and learn all the theory. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to practice it. You kind of have to do it. And it's through that practice, it's through those challenges is, is where you are going to build a better mindset is where your discipline is really going to start to uh, come to play, right? When things get difficult, when you've had a hard day, a long day, are you going to go ahead and do the 30 minute, four minute workout or practice or stretches or study or whatever it is? So it's, it's really through doing, it's really through those challenges, really through kind of pushing through those uncomfortable, hard decisions that's really going to push you forward. I know we kind of went on a little bit on a tangent here, but the thing is, it's just, you know, doing your best, putting consistent effort in and don't don't stray away from the challenges and uncom or, or the difficult situations because that's really where you're going to get the the best out of it though yeah and and you know just quickly to add on to that is like i think a lot of people are waiting to feel ready to take that yeah. on but but yeah. ready ready isn't a feeling it's a decision ready yeah. is not a feeling it's a decision and discipline is a muscle and it needs to be trained. It's not going to be easy at first, but the, the, the more you do it, you know, the, the more freedom there is in that. I think Jocko Willing says a lot, discipline equals freedom. And it's hard for some people yeah. to wrap their head around that. But in doing the discipline thing, you get the freedom by becoming the person that you want to. You know, so it's 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 not always easy, but I think a, a nice way to summarize it and wrap it and wrap that point up is that I always like to say, if you make easy choices, life gets hard. 
if you make hard choices, life gets easy. And yeah, sure, there's there's exceptions, but as a general rule of thumb, make hard choices and life gets easy. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, I, what's the best way for, for the listeners to contact you? I think I have your Instagram here at Peak Primal Health. That's my Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Yeah, you can. I, I, I love doing podcasts. And if people watched and then they end up on my profile after this, slide into those DMs. Let me know if you enjoyed this chat. Let me know um, you know what a, what a good takeaway was for you. I love connecting with people. Um, I always get back to a DM. So please don't be shy and head on over to Peak Primal Health and you can learn more about what I do over there. Awesome. And then you have something going on called Sundays with Steve. That's your email list, right? So Sundays with Steve is an email list. It's kind of like an off the cuff where I talk about life and everything that's going on and just kind of reflect and, and try to provide value and implement some, you know, teachings in there as well. So just a lot of value in that email list. So it's, it's a cool place to, you know, get some outside of the box looks at things. I give away a lot of value and a lot of good content that I, you know, reserve for my coaching programs and things like that. So it's a good place for people to get some good info. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys should be able to see at the bottom of the show notes here. So you can go ahead and click away and make sure you go ahead and contact Steve. 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 It's Steve without the V. There you go. Great way. <laughs> That's it. Um, and then some book recommendations that I always ask uh, yeah. all the guests for. Uh, Steve mentioned the four agreements. Just kind of go a little bit and why you chose that one. Yeah, it's because it's it's um it's one of those books that's not that intimidating because it's very short and I know people love a good short read you know it's like oh I can do this you know and it's um it's very four it's four agreements and uh, there are rules for life if you will, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, Toltec wisdom, um you know be impeccable with your word. It, it's just a lot of very short, very actionable, you know, good juicy stuff for people. There's a lot of wisdom in those in those maybe like a hundred pages. So I highly recommend that. It's a good a good read and uh, it's very actionable. Awesome. And then the other one was A New Earth. A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle is, I think, a book that if people were to read it now, especially in light of everything that's going on with coronavirus and the new earth that we are being asked to enter, will resonate very, very deeply. It's very much about, you know, the power of who you are and how you want to show up in this world and what you want to give back and and who do you want to be while you're doing it. And you know, creating a, a higher vision for yourself and really living that. You know, I think it's a very inspiring book. It's full, again, of just immense wisdom. It's written by Eckhart Tolle, who is a, a modern sage, if you will, and uh, his writings are just incredibly powerful. So anybody that's into a bit more of the inner work and, and trying to kind of level themselves up and really embody what it means to live as the higher self, I highly recommend that book. Awesome. And the last one here is Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. Yes, this was a book that I read recently, and it was so good that I immediately <laughs> read it again. Um, it was excellent. It's by Boyd Varty, and it's uh, he is a South African lion tracker, um, works on a wilderness reserve, uh, tracks lions, and basically after doing that for a number of years became a spiritual teacher and a shaman and all of this other stuff but just has an immense amount of grounded wisdom and you can really tell that this is a man that has spent his life in nature and that nature gives you something it teaches you something and in terms of like bang for your buck in terms of page for page wisdom this book is loaded with it loaded with it especially for people that maybe 
you know, trying to still find who they are and trying to find the track. You know, he talks a lot about tracking and that's the analogy, you know, he's a tracker. So he talks about being on your life's track and the track of not here, which means that you're not necessarily on the wrong track, but sometimes the track isn't leading to where you want to go. And you can be thankful for that. And it's just the track of not here. And that allows you to know that you got to get on another track and another track and another track. And your life is just about finding the right tracks. And uh, it's a very powerful book. And I think a lot of you will love it. So it's, it's got a lot of good humor in it too. Awesome. Awesome. Um, before we finish here, we're going to go into speed round. Like I mentioned earlier, it's just a few questions. You got to get to know you a little bit more. Listeners cool. get to learn. Uh, it's just some rapid fire is basically what my co-host Tim likes to call it. Okay. So the first question is what's your greatest fear? Oh, um, greatest fear is not living up to my potential. Top three things on your bucket list. Um, open up a retreat center somewhere abroad, um, somewhere probably Central America or something like that. Um, that's definitely mm -hmm. on the bucket list. Um, travel across the United States and do all of the national parks in a camper van or an RV. That's definitely on the bucket list. And ooh, let's see. Um, damn. Win, win a gold medal in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. Okay. Last movie you saw? Last movie I saw was the documentary Heal on Netflix. Very, very good. Okay. Favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? Mm, favorite superhero would be... I got to go classic. It's Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man it is. Perfect. Great job. You have survived speed round. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, this last part is just our, you know, thanks. It's just, I'd like to give special thanks. Um, and the first one is to you, Steve. Uh, thank you very much for jumping on this podcast. Uh, I've learned a lot, not only about primal health, not only about your methods and journey, but in general about myself and, you know, how we should be improving our daily lives. So thank you very much, Steve. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me and for having these good conversations. I hope that um, not only you, but all your listeners got a lot of value out of this. And um, yeah, I look forward to connecting in the future. Absolutely. And the second thank you goes to our listeners. Without you guys, this would be just two guys or two people talking, uh, which is good enough for me. But thankfully, we get to share uh, with everybody else. So thank you to you guys for, uh, you know, again, you could have been listening to anything at this moment, but you chose to listen to this episode. So thank you. Thank you very much uh, for giving us the opportunity. And the third and final thank you goes to our clients, our patients, our students, and those who we get to work with on a daily basis uh, for seeing the value that we have to offer, uh, for being present, for, again, being able to deal with the uncomfortable challenges that there is with life and allowing us to help you seek the solutions or strategies. So thank you very much. Uh, with that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support and see you on the next episode. Hold up.